Our New Testament scripture reading today comes from 1 John, the epistle of 1 John. We'll be reading in chapter 3, verse 11 to 18. You can find it in the Pew Bible on page 1022. Hear then the word of the Lord. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. How is it that you know that you have passed out of death and into life? That, that the life of God is at work in you. As we spoke last week about the true life which is only found in union with God, as we looked at the life that has been brought into the world through the death of Jesus Christ, what is the sign that that life is at work in you? It's love, specifically love of the brothers. You know that you are in life and no longer in death because you love those who are seated around you. So today as we're moving back into the sixth commandment, that you shall not murder, you should recognize that this in fact is in part on the positive side a call that you would be people of life. As those who have received the life of God, the eternal life of God, it should be overflowing out of you. That's why you're told to put to death by Paul in Colossians 3 anything that is earthly in you. And he lists anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. And John here reminds us of Cain and that we shouldn't be like him, right? As those who have passed out of death into life, you should not be as Cain was. You should not be a murderer like him. You should not uh, be like the world, the world which is like Cain, the world that killed Jesus Christ, the world that wants to do harm to the people of God, just like he did. He says you will be hated by the world, but you are not to respond in kind. You are not supposed to be like the world in your response to that hatred. You shouldn't be full of hate. ...and full of anger and full of bitterness, full of envy. He says, whoever does not love abides still in death. Right? Those who don't have that love, that life from God are still abiding in death. You are not to abide in death. 
You're to abide in the true life, Jesus Christ himself. Anyone who hates his brother, it says, is a murderer, just like Cain. So it's not enough to say, well, I never laid hands on anyone. It it doesn't matter if you've also slandered them, or if out of anger you've desired to do them harm, if you've hated them in your heart. You are still guilty of God's law. You are, as a people of God, called to imitate Christ and not the world. And what is it that we're told that Christ did? What did he do? He laid down his life for his brothers. He didn't just take life. He laid down his life. He died so that you wouldn't have to. He gave you life when you offered him only death. So likewise, it says, you are to lay down your life for the brothers. That means being actually willing, on the one hand, perhaps to die for someone if that should be needed. But it also means to die to yourself, to give of yourself for others. It means giving to others as they have need. What is John's most immediate application when he says that we should also lay down our lives for the brothers? What's his most immediate application? It's that if someone, specifically a, a, a brother, somebody that's in the church with you, right, a fellow believer, if, if they're in need of something of the world's goods, right, if they have some worldly need, you should help them. You should be willing to help them in that way and so be giving life. You should love, he says, in deed and truth, not just in word, not just in what you say, but also in your actions, Don't say, of course, I love my fellow church members. You have to actually love them. It's not enough to just say it. You must actually do it. Love them in your actions. Giving someone life, as we're going to talk about it, really is synonymous with loving them. Loving someone is giving them life. And we'll look at more details of that later on. We'll talk through a little bit more in depth what that means and looks like. But for now, I I want you to hold this in your mind. I want you to meditate on this as we continue to sing and to pray to God. That you have, as somebody who has been brought to life, as somebody who Christ has died for, the sign that you have come into that life is that you love your brothers, that you give life to others. Right? It's not that you um, know all the right things and you're particularly good at debating and arguing with someone else to show that you're right. It's not that you are uh, given all kinds of spiritual experiences, visions and dreams and miracles. It's not that you're given great wealth or power or authority or honor. These are not the sign that you have come into true life, the sign that you have true life is that you love one another. The sermon text and uh, Old Testament scripture this morning comes from Exodus 20. We continue our time in the Ten Commandments. We're on verse 13 of 20, the Sixth Commandment, but I'm going to read from verse 1 on uh, until we get to that commandment so that we get the full context of the Ten up to that point. Hear then the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, 
I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not murder. This is God's holy and inspired word for us this morning. The sixth commandment is very short. Uh, It's the shortest commandment yet that we've read. It's just two words, actually. Um, Now, it wouldn't necessarily be a good translation to put it this way, but you could just say, no murder. That would that would be it. That's all it says. And that's simple, right? That's pretty simple. And yet, as we've seen over and over, the way that Christ, the way that the apostles, the way that the whole of the Old Testament applies this commandment uh, is quite a bit more expansive. It goes far beyond just the act of murder itself. And summing up this command, we could say that as Christians, you are called to be people of life. That's what you're called to be. And that sounds really nice, but you might say, what does that even mean? <laughs> right? It's just a nice, nice thing to say, but, but what does that actually look like? And that's what we're going to be working through today. And to do that, what we're going to do is kind of take this command both on in the negative as well as in the positive. Negatively in the sense that we're going to look at what it, what it forbids, what this is telling us not to do, which is the form we read it in. Right? Do not murder. You shall not murder. No murder. So it's, it's in the negative. But on the flip side, we're also going to look at the positive. What does it positively call us to do and to be? So we're going to go through it both in those ways. And first, to look at it on that negative side, we would say that this teaches us not to unlawfully take life. And we would add that uh, word unlawfully because there are times that God even commands that someone's life be taken. Um, There are times that, that this is just something that has to happen because of the nature of a fallen world. But even in those cases, even when God himself commands the death of somebody in scripture, he does so with this undergirding principle of life, 
Right? It's actually because of the sacredness, the importance of life. It's because God is a God of life that he seeks to preserve it even in the use of violence at times. When you're commanded not to take life, let's remember what is the rationale for this. Right? Why not? Well, first, because death is a judgment and you are not the judge. You're not the one in charge of life and death. You know, sometimes people will get uh, somewhat worked up about the fact that here in the Ten Commandments it says you shall not kill, you shall not murder, and yet God at times will have people killed. He will take people's lives. He will command the death penalty. He will do these things. And so they'll say, look, God breaks his own law. But the difference is that when God takes life, he, he gets to. He can do that. That's, it is his to give and it is his to take. He's the one that gives life and he takes life. And blessed be the name of the Lord. He can take your life at any time because it belongs to him. You have it because of him. Uh, it's not wrong ever for the Lord to take life if he so pleases. And death itself being a judgment, uh, it's something that belongs to him too because he is the judge. Secondly, God's purposes in this world are for life. Though he is the judge, though death is a judgment, yet his purposes in this world are for life because he is life. Death is a negation of life, a, a removal of it, but it isn't something in and of itself. It doesn't have existence in itself. So before God made the world, when there was only God, there was no death. There was only life because he is life. And God's purposes in the world correspond to his nature and character. He desires life. He wants life for you. We're told that he doesn't rejoice even in the death of the wicked. So to be enamored with death, to be celebratory of death, to be excited about death, ultimately this is to be anti-God because he is a God of life. Yes, at times death is necessary. At times violence is necessary in a fallen world. But it's something that is not ultimately good in itself, in the sense that it is not eternal, it is not forever. It is not in God. So negatively, this command teaches that you're not to take life. You're not to take your own life. You're not to take someone else's life unlawfully. By the way, lawful examples of taking life, we might say, would be in cases of uh, public justice, in cases of just war, in cases of self-defense, where it may be necessary. All these things are, are not just allowed by God, but, but commanded at times by God. Right? For instance, God commands the death penalty for certain crimes specifically for the taking of someone's life. And at times, uh, that's necessary in order to defend life. Now, you know, we won't get into that deeply right now, but um, even though God does allow for the death penalty, he commands it for those who take life, it doesn't seem as though he commands it at all times in every case. He allows for mercy even in earthly justice. Uh, but 
ultimately, the reason that he commands this after the flood is because of his desire for life. Because if somebody takes another's life, it must be taken from them. It, it holds up the sacredness and importance of life. But if you take someone's life, your own or others, outside of the you know, parameters that he has set, which is the vast majority of the taking of life in our world, in this world filled with death. What you're doing is you are, you're directly disobeying his will. Some of the more egregious ways that uh, we do this as a culture, outside of, in a sense, the obvious of, of murder, of just taking somebody's life, would be things like suicide. Right? Your life doesn't belong to you. So even if you want to take your own life, you shouldn't. Right? Because God wants life for you. That is his desire for you. Right now, uh, especially in the West, there's been a massive rise in suicide, especially as people are hopeless, as they're without any hope in this world, as, as the very uh, idea of some kind of uh, life beyond just the bare material world has been removed as people have been uh, removed from community and those things which God has made to give life. Uh, This is growing more and more. And as that happens, we also see the rise in euthanasia, right? What we sometimes call assisted suicide. This is to kill somebody, right? We we use this this language to try to make it sound better, but but this is to take somebody's life. To, to help somebody in taking their life is to engage in taking their life. And how disgraceful and shameful that instead of helping people who are in such a bad place, that are in such a place of despair, that they want to take their own life, how shameful of us that we would rather assist them in dying. That we say, well, wouldn't it just be easier if we didn't have to deal with that? If we didn't have to deal with the difficulty of actually helping somebody find the meaning of life. There's nothing compassionate about that. I was just, I happened, this was after I wrote the sermon this week actually, but I happened to listen to a podcast where they were talking about euthanasia. Um, Apparently recently uh, in the Netherlands they have uh, begun to allow euthanasia for people as young as 12 in cases where they're emotionally in despair to the point where they don't think that they're going to get better. Right? Can you imagine right, just how uh, wicked? And that will, that's coming here. Right? If there is not revival amongst our people, that's coming here too. Right? Anybody cut off from the life of God will end up, at least on a long enough time frame, in a kind of death worship. It's, it's in a sense, inevitable. Now, of course, all of this doesn't mean that there aren't times when uh, you know, people are on their deathbed and they, they're simply going to die. And removing those things that are just keeping somebody's body alive may be necessary at times, even as a grace. But to actively take one's life, right, that is to play God. Think of abortion. Right? It not only takes life, it takes innocent life, the life that is most in need of protection. And we will be judged for this sin. Right? And if you have participated in abortion, if you've you have procured one, if you've paid for one, if you've received one yourself, you can be forgiven of that. Right? Murder is not an unforgivable sin. But when we talk about sin, especially as we're 
we're trying to, in a sense, reveal it by the law of God. We don't want to hide it. We don't want to use euphemisms. We don't want to pretend as if it's not a big deal. It really is a great evil to take the life of your own child. It's a radical rebellion. It's unnatural. Think about how many creatures, even in the animal kingdom, will go to such great lengths to preserve their young. What does it mean then when we would take the life of our own for convenience, right? Because it's not fitting, because we don't want to have to pay the cost that would be involved. We will be judged for the evil of abortion, right? The blood of our children will cry out from the ground against us. Now, most of these are, they're very active active ways of taking somebody's life, right? They're they're actively murdering someone. But there are other sins that are forbidden in this commandment. We've seen this. We've seen how this is applied over and over now. To neglect, for instance, or take away those things which are necessary for someone's life. To put them in a position where they cannot procure those things that are necessary for life. That would be also a way of taking their life. Jesus teaches us that murder starts in the heart. And to insult and hate your brother in your heart is to um, entertain a, a spirit of murder, a desire to murder, the spirit of hatred, the hate of others, to be angry with them, to envy, just like Cain did, able to desire revenge against someone. All of these, though they may not be the fullest fruition of what taking one's life means and looks like, they are on the same road, right? It is, it is to begin down that path. These two are to break the sixth commandment. It goes all the way to the heart. And you see this. I mean, you know, I don't know if you uh, feel this all around you, but I think you can sense a kind of, you know, ramping up of, of anger, of hatred between peoples all around us. Likely you feel it yourself, right? You you maybe find yourself quick, quick to anger, quick to just want something violent to happen to someone else. This is a, a kind of demonic rage. You feel that tension of hatred all around you. And so it takes very little, right, to set somebody off, right? Just takes a, a social media post, right? Takes hearing about something that, you know, someone's done in the news, some kind of, of political action. It takes just this, the littlest thing, somebody cuts you off in traffic, and you just want to erupt, you begin to feel that, right? That anger, that spirit of hatred and anger, that is ultimately sinful and demonic. Right? You're not to be an angry person. You're not to be ready to blow up at any moment. Being overcome by your passions, that too violates the word of God. Think about right now, you know, culturally, as we look through the lens of Scripture and try to diagnose where, where we are. Think about how many movies or TV shows you've seen that are all about ultimately just getting revenge on somebody. Right? All they are is, is somebody going to uh, get revenge on somebody else. 
It just glories in death or, or vengeance. It glories in vigilante or mob, so-called justice. Right? All of this, it, ju- it just entertains a, a spirit of rage. Think about all the stories you hear, or maybe you've experienced of just the, the nature of road rage today. It seems so silly, it seems so little, and yet uh, almost every day you could find stories of those who would get cut off in traffic or something happens on the road, and it leads to somebody being violent toward another. Right? It leads to death in many cases. Maybe you've experienced just that, again, that anger that arises within you. Right? The littlest things escalate into violence. But to glory in violence and bloodshed and death, even, even in times when it's necessary, let alone all that we've been talking about, this is to entertain a spirit that is inconsistent with the life and love of God. This command also teaches that whether in your own life or for those under your charge, you should not be given to unhealthy lifestyles. When we say unhealthy, I mean like those things which lead toward death, harming yourself or others. Right? There are so many things, almost everything uh, on earth when taken in excess will work toward the destruction of your body or your mind, your soul, the things that you eat. Right? Your work, even overworking, pushing yourself in a way that's unnatural. Your lifestyle choices of diet, of exercise, your rhythms of work and rest. Your technology use, right? your, your use of a screen. These are, these are all, in a sense, in principle, spoken to in the Sixth Commandment. And now when we, when we talk about those things, we need to be careful. Right? You need to be very careful because some of you uh, may be tempted when you hear that, uh, toward a kind of legalism that would take that principle and then try to apply, you know, a very specific outworking of it, right? So maybe you have a very specific diet or you live your life in a very specific way and you think, well, every single person needs to do this, right? They need to do it like me. That's not what this is saying necessarily. However, the far more common sin for us is probably going to be uh, issues of excess, gluttony, right? And, and saying, well, the scripture doesn't speak to how I live physically. It's just about these nice ideas about getting to heaven. And it doesn't actually apply to the rest of my embodied life. That's not true. In principle, it does speak to how we eat, how we sleep, how we drink, how we whatever, in principle, it does. Now, we need to use wisdom in how we apply these things. We need to use wisdom in how we look at God's natural order and how we want to live in it in a way that's consistent with his revealed will in scripture, his revealed word in nature. But nonetheless, it does speak to us in this way, that we are to uh, live. We are to give ourselves to him for life. And so those, those habits of ours, which are destructive, to mind, to body, to soul, those he is commanding us to stop, to kill, to remove from ourselves. Right? It would be wrong in an individual's case to, you know, poison themselves or poison others. And it's just as wrong for, you know, corporations or 
multinational companies, for governments, for, for whoever, for you know, uh, technology companies to do things that they know are going to harm people and yet do them for some other reason, profit margin or what have you. And now the, the Westminster Larger Catechism, which I'd encourage you, I know I've mentioned this a lot in these sermons, but I'd encourage you to go read sometime with these commandments because it goes on at length about the different things that are forbidden or required of us in, in the Ten Commandments. It does a, a really helpful job in applying these things. But this is how it ends when it talks about what's forbidden in the Sixth Commandment. It says, uh, the Sixth Commandment is pro- provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatsoever else tends to the destruction of the life of any. And whatsoever. Right, this, again, this is, this is a command for life. And so there's going to be a lot of things. We're not going to sit here and make an exhaustive list. Uh, we're not going to be able to do that. There are things that we wouldn't even think of. And yet, uh, whatsoever takes away life in some way is commanded against here. The goal is not just an exhaustive list. But it's at least to understand the principle of life understanding the character of God, his purposes in the world, and, and the principle of life that he holds out to us here in his word, we then understand that no matter where you're at in your uh, understanding of God, in your journey of faith, no matter where you're at as far as in your sanctification and becoming more like Christ, there is some way in which this word speaks to you. There is some way in which you might see this as a light unto your path to continue to help you in your growth of holiness. So these are all, in a sense, negative examples, but positively, we would say also that this command teaches you to seek life for yourself and for others, to be people of life. Jesus Christ is the Lord and giver of life, and he has filled you with new life, and so you should overflow with that life and pour it into others. Even as we read, just as Jesus Christ laid down his life for others, so you too should lay down your life for others. In an analogical way, you can be like Christ in this. Now, it, you know, when we spoke earlier about laying down your life for the brethren, for the brothers, uh, it, it's specific right here, right, to those around you, right, those in this local embodiment of the church. But that doesn't mean it's, it's just for those people. The idea is that as, as God's life overflows from you, as, as you continue to live in light of his word, you do that toward your spouse, toward your children, right, toward your parents, those closest to you, toward your fellow church members. And as that happens, it, it continues to flow. Right? Living water is flowing water in Scripture. It's the idea of living water. It's water that's moving. You know it's not stagnant. It's not just sitting in one place. It's, it's moving. It's flowing. It's the same with us as we are conduits of the life of God. As it flows out of us in a sense. So it continues to flow. It keeps going. But it's going to affect those who are closest to it. Right? A natural spring, water comes up in one spot. It doesn't mean it stays there. But that's where it starts. That's where it begins. And it's going to affect those closest to them first. Again, to quote the Westminster Larger Catechism on this, it starts by saying the Sixth Commandment requires 
all careful studies and lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions, temptations, and practices which tend to the unjust taking away of life, of the life of any. And do you hear how expansive uh, it writes that, right? All of these things. Whoever you are, wherever you are at, this does speak to you. And the, the nature of these commandments, as we've, as we've been looking at them, remember that I mean, if you are outside of Christ, you may hear this law, you may hear, you know, if you hear all these things listed, here's all these things you need to do, that may condemn you. It may feel like you are being condemned because how could I possibly do all of that? But if you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. You don't worry about condemnation, but this is still a light unto your path. It's still a word from God that is a blessing and a gift for you. And so what we want to do is hear it, hear these words of life, and then we want to to seek what, what ways can I continue to grow? What ways can I continue to be more like my Savior so that I might glorify and enjoy Him? And it takes work. Right? The training of your passions, learning self-control by the Holy Spirit. It takes intention on your part. Right? It's not a passive activity. You, you are to seek out the ways that you can truly be good to others. It takes dependence upon God. As you recognize that, yes, you will fail regularly, but knowing that he has called you to this, that he has equipped you by his spirit and his word, you can still seek to live life for life for his glory so to positively seek life what are what are some ways that we see this again we can't be exhaustive but to positively seek life at times is going to include for instance just self-defense or the defense of others biblical religion is not uh, pacifistic there are times that you might have to use violence to defend yourself your own life or the life of the innocent, to defend the life of your fellow countrymen, for instance. Right? There are many of you that have been in the military, have been in law enforcement, and, and this command is not to say that those activities are always wrong. But I also know that you know, in a room like this, full of you know, generally uh, conservative-type people, right? a bunch of red-blooded American types, conservative men, there may be a temptation at times to desire violence, right? To desire to harm someone. And that goes beyond what God's word allows. That goes beyond those parameters that we spoke of, right? To want to hurt somebody or to want to get revenge, to, to justify our anger by saying, well, this is a righteous anger. It might be, but a lot of the times it probably isn't. Okay, self-defense, the defense of others is right. But God desires that we be uh, people who are patient, right? People who are, are full of joy, who think of others' goods bef- before our own, right? So we're not looking for opportunities to be violent. We would only use it if necessary. You have to be a self controlled man, especially in a time of radical excess and rage. As you feel this ramping up all around you, that that rage, that demonic spirit of rage, 
Whereas people continue to just blow up at one another with the, the smallest little bit of news and all of a sudden things are in chaos and people are harming each other. You can't be like that. You cannot let that dictate how you are going to live. You live according to Christ's commands, not what the world says. You must be disciplined. If God is patient even with the wicked, then we need to be as well. If God is compassionate and loving and slow to anger, then that is what you are called to imitate. Right? There, there is a, a kind of hell on earth that is unleashed when uh, men particularly just let go and, and allow themselves to just be as violent as they want, to use their, their power, their anger, their rage for their own good, for their own enjoyment. You must be controlled in your anger and submit even that to Christ. The sixth commandment positively, again, teaches us uh, that even in our lifestyles, we want to be submitting everything to the Lord. We want to be people of life. So in how you eat, in how you drink, in your exercise, in your sleep, in your work habits, right, in all of this, are you submitting yourself to God? Are you seeking your health and the health of your family, the health of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Right? This is uh, one area where we want to bring you know, our, our bodily lives in line with spiritual life. Now, you, again, you've know, got to be so careful here, right? because God doesn't give us uh, very direct commands about, well, you can eat this or can't eat this. Right? In the New Covenant, those, those things uh, have passed away. And so we don't uh, want to become legalists that are trying to, you know, dictate every little thing that everybody can do. God is actually, uh, you know, quite free with us in how we live. But this principle of life has to undergird everything. It has, it has to be a part of all of our decisions. Okay, so earthly life is not everything. Uh, there are going to be plenty of, you know, healthy people in hell. There are going to be plenty of people who on the outside look healthy that will die forever. What God wants is for you, his people, to overflow with life and joy, right? For that to touch how you think about everything, right? So this isn't to say if you're not, you know, physically healthy or in shape or if you struggle with sickness that that means that, for, you know, you must be, uh, you know, deeply sinning in some way. You may be, Right? You may be prone to some sin like gluttony, but you can still have the joy of the Lord. You can still seek the joy of the Lord first. And then, as that overflows within us, we want it to be consistent in all of our lives. Toward that end, it's, it's not just physically, but also then even your, in your emotions, in your attitude, in your outlook on life, your spirit, you are to be full of life, a people of life. So you must be charitable in how you think of others. Not quick to condemn, not quick to get angry, not bitter or resentful. You must be compassionate. With humility, we're told, you are to think of others as greater than yourself. As think of others' needs before your own. You should be gentle and kind, not overbearing and hostile. You should seek peace. And in both your speech and your actions, you should you should show that you are controlled, that you have submitted everything to Christ. Not only should you not murder, but you shouldn't even start down that road. 
You shouldn't desire to get angry with someone. I'm sure there are times that you've been angry and you've thought, no, this one's right because they deserve it, right? They, they need me to be angry with them. This is the right thing to do. And there are times, it's true that there are times that anger is allowable, but you need to be careful, right? You don't want to be the person that blows up easily, that gets in somebody's face. You want somebody to do something so that you can finally be violent, you can unleash. When others sin, you seek to be reconciled, right? When others frustrate you, you be patient with them. When you have something against someone, you forgive them, even if they will never admit that they're wrong. When others try to do evil to you, you seek to do them good. You pray for them, and in that way, heap burning coals on their head. Be then a calm presence in the chaos and turmoil, right? A solid ground where people can learn to stand. You have to be the one that stands up for the weak and the orphan, the widow, defends those who are innocent, defends those who are being sent to their death because of their despair. If we were to sum all these things up, if we just, you know, sum it all up, in one phrase and we could say that you must be people of life and to be people of life you have to be people of love think about what we read in first john right what does it look like to to give life to not take life it looks like love to be people of life you must be people of love right maybe you're thinking you know what kind of what kind of message is this right isn't this kind of hippie talk peace and love. What about justice? What about people getting what they deserve? What about making those who do wrong regret it? God puts significant limits on violence and death because he knows that your heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. Right? You have to recognize, as we, as we look in the mirror of God's word, recognize that you will be prone to justify your anger as if it were righteous, even when it's not. You will think that your desire for vengeance is right, even when it's not justice. So if you want to be like God, if you want to hate like he hates, to know justice as he does, to have the wisdom that he does, to know when violence is necessary, to do that well is to first follow him in his love his slowness to anger, his desire that all would repent and all would receive mercy, his life. Right? When you are desiring life, when you're giving life more and more like he does, right? that is when discussions about you know, righteous anger and the place for these things become more important. Then we can talk about justice. But while you have hatred and vengeance in your heart, while you uh, lack forgiveness then you're the one that needs to learn of the justice of god so you shall not murder right instead seek life as those for whom jesus christ has laid down his life you must be a people that would also then lay down your life for the brothers that you would be those who give life rather than taking it to all those who god has put around you let's pray Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would teach us this principle of life, that in all that we do, 
in all the ways that we live, we would seek to honor you, to submit it all to you. And so where we have been hateful in our hearts, where we have been prone to violence, we pray that you would help us to put those things to death. Where we have been quick to anger, where we have entertained a demonic rage, help us to remove those things far from us. Lord, forgive us and teach us your ways. Help us to love what you love and so desire life. We pray in your name. Amen.